Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you've joined us again. And before we keep going, could you please give a big shout out to the band, specifically Heather Estes, for killing that song this morning. And uh, give her some praise and some claps. Uh, Anytime we show our band some love, they appreciate it. And uh, they definitely deserve it because they put in so much work during the week. And so band, Heather, thank you for the song this morning. And again, I'm so glad that you are here for part two of our series, We Need a Hero. And that is definitely what we need. If you weren't here last week, uh, last week we really kind of set the stage for the fact we really do need a hero, especially everything that we're going through in America. And let me tell you some feedback that I loved getting this past week. It's the feedback of, I didn't know all that was in the Bible. And this series, I really think, is making me want to read the Bible more. I'm just telling you, nothing could go wrong with that. Find whatever translation you can connect with and you can fall more in love with Jesus with. That's the one you want to stick with. And what you discover in the very first book of Romans is that we're all pretty messed up. All of us. We're all in need of a hero. We are all sinners in need of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And if you keep reading through the book of Romans, you come to chapter 3 where you find the greatest paragraph ever written in the Bible. And it is a paragraph that essentially says, because we're all messed up, because we're all sinners, we all need a hero and the hero's name is Jesus. So if you weren't here last Sunday, that's essentially what we talked about. And today we're going to pick it back up with something that I'm really looking forward to not just sharing with you, but I'm looking forward to it happening. So I want to talk with you about that in just a moment. But here's what I want to encourage you with. I've also got an email and text about, okay, are we really like in the end times? Like, is this like the finale finale of everything of what we're seeing? And this is my encouragement. If you've been asking that question, you're not alone. That question has been asked for over 2,000 years. You want to know who it started with? The disciples. There was a moment where Jesus was hanging out with his his disciples. And here's what they asked of Jesus. They said, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end? Everybody's been looking for signs. Even the disciples were looking for signs. And here's what I love. Jesus did not ignore their questions. He actually answered their questions. And that's why scripture says, listen, you just need to look around. Be prepared. Watch what's happening. Know what's going on. And you will see the signs of the ends of the time. Now, this was in Matthew chapter 24. When you read the chapter, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus actually outlined some signs for his disciples and for us to be looking for. All of these signs are just the beginning of birth pains. Watch. When he talked to his disciples, there may have been a sign here. There may have been a sign here. What Jesus explains to them though, it's when all of these signs happen simultaneously, they come together um, and it's like, It's like a lady who's about to give birth. There are these birth pains that are being experienced. Now, I would like to know in the chat room, on a scale of zero to 10, 
How many of you ladies, this is before the epidural, how would you rate the pain level? Just go ahead and shout it out. Around a two, around a four. Anybody want to go beyond a 10 perhaps? Like help us men understand. Uh, I remember when Valerie was about to give birth, we run to the hospital. Well, not run. We get in the car and we drive to the hospital. In the hospital bed, they hook her up to a machine. I'm watching this machine as a contraction would come. She would say, I can feel a contraction coming. I take my eyes off of her. I'm holding her hand and I'm watching. I'm so fascinated by watching this machine let me know. And I'm letting her know, oh, this is a big one here. I can tell this is a big one. The closer it got to birth, here's what happened. The pain became more frequent with greater intensity. The the, the contractions would happen, go away, happen, and then before the birth would take place, the contract, it was just off the scale, more intense, greater frequency. And I also learned the epidural is not for the lady's pain. The epidural is for the husband. Because it's at this moment, the wife is yelling, you did this to me. Get out of my room. And so it's really for the man. But that's a, that's a side note. Jesus said, when you see all of these signs taking place, the end is near. What are some of the signs he mentioned? Here's one sign. Lawlessness will abound. In other words, men, women, people... They will want to live how they want to live and they don't want law to be any part of it. Does this sound familiar at all? Just click to any website. Just get rid of the law. Let us live however we want to live. Now, I want you to recognize her shirt as well. I mentioned last week That what we're seeing is not just a movement to the end. There's something happening that you actually see a communist, communistic mindset with an Islamic influence coming together. If you remember that graphic, I'm going to talk with you more about that later on. But there's a lawlessness that we see in Portland. We see in Seattle. We're seeing in the major cities. And this is happening around the world. It's not just in our nation. And what we get from that of people wanting to live how they want to live without anyone telling them how to live is you get anarchy. You get pure rebellion is what you get. Jesus said, it's just one of the signs. But when you see it mixed with other signs, the end is close. Jesus also said this, you will see famine and disease. Did you know that the famine in the world that we have now One child dies from starvation every five seconds. It's startling, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. It's what I said last week. Even though we're in the last days, for believers it's exciting, but it's also heartbreaking. That there's still work to be done. Jesus said, when you see this happening with other things, such as pestilence, disease, I just clicked on this. This week, all of this is from this week. I mean, this, this World Magazine headline, virus aid falls as need source. This is worldwide. Now, listen to me. If anyone would have told you in January, hey, guess what's going to happen in a few weeks? There's going to be a virus. It will be pandemic. 
I know some people think it's scandemic, but just hang with me. Is that it's going to be pandemic and it will shut the world down in a matter of days. I wouldn't have believed them. You want to know why? We've never seen it before. Everyone in the world not only believes it can happen, everyone in the world is wondering, when will it stop happening? Jesus said, when you see all of these things, it's just a sign. Birth pains, you're getting close. Uh, Another big headline that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 24, there would be hatred of Christians. Now, When we talk about the end times, we talk about the Antichrist. We'll talk about him next week, so don't miss that. But keep in mind that Scripture talks about, and Jesus talked about in this section, it's not a person called the Antichrist. It's this this spirit of Antichrist. It's shut the Christians up. We don't want to hear what you believe anymore. We want to live how we want to live. You can't tell us what's right. There is this... There is this quieting of the Christians even to a level of martyrdom that we've never seen before. I don't know if you saw this interview or not with Benjamin Watson. Uh, Our church you should be very familiar with if you go to the bridge with Benjamin and his wife who for the past two years on Super Bowl Sunday, they have led us through our entire service time together. They've shared their story of struggles they've had in their marriage, struggles they've had with infertility. But strong believers in Jesus Christ. We love their testimony. We love how each year they lead us to different testimonies of NFL players. It's so powerful. A few days ago, he was interviewed by a lady on CNN. She was wanting to know, what's your perspective on social injustice? He had some great things to say. He talked about how as a nation we've come so far, so far. So many great things have happened but we still have a long way to go. But then he just wanted to just share briefly that his view is that it's not about skin. It's about sin. And he wanted to share his view of where the problem really comes from. And this is what happened. In the 60 seconds I have remaining with you, sir, ask you, we talk so much about this on a macro level. How about on a micro, on a day-to-day basis? How can we, you know, black, white, whatever, mm-hmm. improve this? Well, I, I, honestly, I think I, I point to it in the very last paragraph that I read. And, and I'm encouraged because things aren't the way they used to be. You know, we all have grandparents that, that told us how things were. We've all seen documentaries. We are definitely making progress. But I think on an individual, on a, uh, on a micro level, the issue is not really skin. The issue is sin. And I, I firmly believe that the issue is that internally we are flawed. Internally, we need salvation from our sin. Internally, our sin makes us prideful. It makes us judgmental. It makes us prejudiced, which leads to racism. It makes us lash out at people that don't look like us. It makes us look past, look past evidence to protect people that look like us. It, it makes us do all those things. It makes us lash out in anger. It makes us point finger. It, 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 it makes wow. us, our sin that's in us makes us do those things. And the only, Oof. the only salvation for this sin is the gospel. The only way to really cure that was on the inside is understanding that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so to me, on a micro level, it's understanding. And just like that, we lost him. I know, I heard you guys rapping me. I just couldn't let him go. Benjamin Watson, thank you so much. Good luck at the game Sunday. I'm Brooke Baldwin. See you Monday. Jim Shudo, up next. Jesus said, when you see 
all of this happening at the same time, get ready. Uh, I love that Jesus also added this part though. You know the time is close when for the entire world, there's hope of a hero. It's not that the world, they don't hear about a hero. As a matter of fact, you know it's close when the world has heard and they are hearing about a hero. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 24. And the good news, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Thanks to technology, thanks to missionary endeavors, the gospel covers the globe. And Jesus is saying, it's close, it's close. And here's the good news for those who call Jesus their hero. We all need to be, be reminded of this truth as, before we go on. We are on the winning team. Can I get an amen or just some, some praise hands in the chat room? I mean, we are on the winning team, not the losing team. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's not only your hero, he is the hero of the story. Now, here's where I want to go today. Jesus has something planned for not just the church. There's another name in scripture used for the church, Jesus followers. The other name that's used in scripture is the bride. Um, I, I love that. I, I love the intimacy of that thought, the closeness, the relationship. It just takes the religious jargon out of it and go, oh, wow, okay, okay. So it's like we have this marriage relationship. You made a commitment to us. We've made a commitment to you. And he says that one day we will be together face to face for a marriage supper, a feast, a ceremony, if you will. And I'll show you when that's going to be in just a moment. As scripture says that it will be. So let me read you a passage about something in, in scripture that we believe is called the rapture. I want to read two different passages. Let me start with the one mentioned in 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Here's what he says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, let me, let me tell you the difference between a secret and a mystery. A secret is something you will never know. A mystery in scripture is mentioned often. Mystery in scripture is something that is revealed at the proper time. Now you've experienced this. Scripture talks about how marriage is a, is a mystery. It's this mystery we have with him and it's a mystery we have with one another. When I got married almost 25 years ago, I knew I loved my wife, Valerie. Marriage was definitely a mystery. Things have been revealed over 25 years <laughs> Um, uh, it's like the phrase, love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. Okay, that's, that's a mystery. Here's what Paul is saying to the believers. I love you, Valerie. Here, I just, I had to get that off my heart. Here's what Paul is saying to the believers of the first century. There's something you don't know. So I want to explain it to you because I know you believe Jesus is coming back. And they did. They thought he was coming back right then. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a mystery I want to explain to you. So here's what he says. Let me tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now, I love this word sleep. Sleep in the Bible is the word God chose to use for one of his, 
that actually pass away in death. He didn't want to use the word death. God chose to use the word sleep. It's as if a believer, a Jesus follower, when he takes his last breath, it's as if a parent sitting in the room with a child late at night watching a movie and the child falls asleep. The parent picks the child up, carries them over to another bedroom and gently lays them down. God says for a believer, when you take your last breath, all I'm simply doing is picking you up from your room called earth and I'm gonna just bring you gently to my house to be with me forever. Paul says, I want you to understand death is not a finality for believers. No, 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 no. It's like a believer going to sleep. And then he explains a little further. He says this, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. It's interesting. He says, but here's what I want you to know. Here's part of the mystery. Not every believer will experience death. Not all of them. That there'll be a time when some believers will never experience death, but we will all be changed. Whether you have died and you're a believer, whether you are a Christian and you live to see what's about to take place and you don't die, we all are changed. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. And he goes on to explain the, the mystery. It'll be in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Hey, let's do something together. Kids, you're involved in this, okay? I'm going to count to three and then we're going to clap as fast as we can. We're going to all do it together. Are you ready? One, two, no, it's, we're going to do it on three, okay? Sorry if I messed you up. Okay, we're going to do it on three, all together real fast. One, two, three. Anybody late? Just write in the chat room if you were late. God didn't get it. I was late. Sorry, I had a drink in my hand. All right, let's do it all again. One more time, one more time. On three, everybody's together. One, two, three. It'll be faster than that. Something's going to happen that is in the twinkling of an eye. It's not an eye blink. It's faster than that. And this is exactly what he says. It's in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. What happens? Here's what happens. It will happen at the blast of the last trumpet. Explain that in just a minute. Then the dead will be raised to life forever, to live forever, and we will be changed. Why the change, Paul? Why do you mention this event that's happening so fast? Why do you mention it twice? Here's why. Because we're born in a sin-sick world, we're born with a desire to sin, and because we are born sinners, we don't like to hear it, but it's just true. We give our life to Christ. He changes us from the inside out, not the outside in. But our bodies are still corruptible. They're still perishable. They just don't last. And if you don't believe that, just go look in the mirror. <laughs> we're all dying slowly physically. But scripture said, but inwardly, we're more alive than we've ever been. You and I as believers will need a new body that lasts forever. We will also need a new body that will be able to be in his presence without dying and passing away. So you get an eternal body. One that can take Chick-fil-A milkshakes and zero calories. Thank you, God. Looking forward to that day. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. What is the name of this mystery called the rapture? 
If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard the name before. Maybe if you didn't grow up in church, this is the first time you've heard it. I'll be honest, there's so much confusion about this. Some people don't even believe this who grew up in church. There are different views. I believe it. I believe scripture teaches it. Some people grew up in church believing it, go to college and don't believe it anymore. This is an article that I actually read yesterday. Nobody is getting left behind because the rapture is never, ever going to happen. Don't know if you can see it or not. I'm sorry, left behind fans. It's interesting. What are the objections to the rapture and are there answers to the objections that people have? This is where I want to come to our guest speaker again today, Jeff Kinley. And he's actually written a book on this called Wake the Bride, maybe one you want to pick up on his website. But I'm going to turn it over to Jeff to talk about objections people have and are there answers for those objections. Jeff, take it away. Hey, thanks, Kenny. You know, a lot of times when people start talking about the rapture, one of the first things that folks bring up is the fact that, hey, wait a minute, the word rapture is not in the Bible. So how do you get rapture? Well, that's true. You can look from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find the English word rapture anywhere in your Bible. Of course, you're also not going to find the word Trinity or missions or Easter or Christmas or incarnation or the Great Commission or any words like that. In fact, the word Bible is not even in the Bible. And the word Christian even is only mentioned three times in the whole Bible. So had you walked into like, let's say the Ephesian church in the first century and walked up to one of the Christian sisters and said, hey, do you believe in the Trinity? She would have said, what in the world are you talking about? That's because the word had not been coined yet. You see, we believe in certain doctrines and we attach certain words to those doctrines to help us understand them better. And so even though the word rapture is not found in the Bible, the teaching about the word rapture is. And we find that primarily in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 17, where we encounter a very important word, where Paul talks about, and Kenny's going to talk about this in a minute, but Paul talks about Christians being caught up into the air. That word caught up is the Greek word harpazo, and it means to suddenly snatch something away or to steal something away. In fact, it's even stronger than the Greek word klepto, which means to steal something secretly. We get our word kleptomaniac from but the word harpazo implies to really snatch something away quickly or suddenly or violently. And it's used in the New Testament many, many times. It's used to talk about Satan snatching away the seed of the word of God in the parable of the sower and the souls in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus used this word in John 10, 29, when he says, My sheep I hold in my hand, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So we see this word all throughout the scripture. We'll talk more about that in a second. But the concept of the rapture is really seen throughout the entire Bible. We see it back in the book of Genesis where the Bible talks about a man by the name of Enoch who walked with God. And then it says suddenly he was not because God took him home. Uh, we see it in the translation of Elijah and the chariot of fire being snatched away to heaven. We see it with Philip in Acts chapter 8 where it says that he was suddenly snatched away by the Holy Spirit and brought to an, another location. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 2 where he says, I was caught up into the third heaven where I had this amazing vision of heaven. And then also we see it in Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 
when it's speaking of Jesus and his ascension in Acts chapter uh, 1, and the Bible says he was caught up to God to heaven. So, so where do we get rapture from if, if it's not the words not in the Bible, but the teaching is? Well, when the New Testament was being translated from Greek to Latin in the 4th century, they translated this Greek word harpazo we just talked about into Latin, and the Latin word was the, the word rapio, which came, a form of that word came to be known as rapturo, and that's where we get rapture. So harpazo means to be caught up. The Latin translation of harpazo is rapture. And so that's where we get the word rapture. So it's just a way for us to remember it. I mean, think about it. It would be really weird to think of the rapture and, and to call it the harpazo. I mean, that just sounds really awkward. That, that sounds more like something you would order at an Italian restaurant. You know, you take, get the harpazo with marinara sauce or something. It doesn't sound like, you know, something we, we would think about in terms of a, a belief. But we don't want to call it the great snatching away or something strange like that. So rapture just kind of fits. You know what the New Testament calls it? They called it the blessed hope. The blessed hope and the appearing of Jesus Christ to take us home to be with him. So that's really some of the first objection here. And uh, we see it many times in the New Testament. John 14 is a beautiful picture of that, that wedding scenario where Jesus comes to snatch away his bride. We also see another objection to the rapture. And they say, well, the rapture is really this belief thing that you guys believe in the rapture is really a, a recent doctrine. It really only happened the first or the last rather a couple of hundred years. And they try to trace it back to some different theologians uh, who began using this term. But I show in my book, Wake the Bride, I have an entire chapter. In fact, I have two chapters on the rapture, one called Grounding the Rapture, where I talk about some of these objections. And one of the things that we see is that the first century is replete with evidences of belief in the rapture. In fact, there's a first century document called the Didache, which is the teaching of the 12 apostles. And we see this eminent belief in the return of Christ there. We see it all throughout the early church fathers. Uh, we see it in the third and fourth century in the writings uh, of those early teachers. But let's go back even further. When you go back to the New Testament itself, we see the doctrine of the rapture or the fact that Jesus Christ could return at any time taught throughout the entire New Testament. And I go in the book and I, and I show you over 20 different examples of how the early church had this anticipation, this spirit of expectation that Jesus could return for them at any time. Why did they believe that? Because Jesus told them, if I go away, I'll return again and receive you to myself. The angels at his ascension said, Christ is going to return the same way that he left. Of course, that's talking about the second coming, but they were still believing in the fact that Christ could return at any time. In fact, the early church in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in verse 22, it says that they greeted one another with this term called Maranatha. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's an Aramaic term that just simply means, may the Lord come. So when they gathered for church, instead of saying, hey, how's it going? Or, hey, how about those Rangers or Hogs? Or how about those Houston Astros? They didn't say that. They said Maranatha to one another as a way to say, may the Lord come today. So recent doctrine, I don't think so. It's an ancient doctrine tracing its way all the way back to the New Testament. The third objection about the rapture people say sometimes is that, hey man, you Christians believe in the rapture just because it's some sort of you know, convenient escape clause. You don't, you don't want to be around when this whole revelation thing happens in Revelation 6 through 19, the whole tribulation thing. Y'all are just trying to get out of trouble. Well, that's not true, and here's why. Jesus said 
in John 15 and John 16, he said, look, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, Christians. You're going to have trouble. And why? Because John 15 says, Jesus said, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you stand up for the truth, if you love people, really love them, they're not always going to love you back. Sometimes they're going to give you hate. In fact, what did they do to Christ, the most loving person on the planet? They killed him. So Christ said, no, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. But he, then he said in John 16, he said, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so Christians will go through tribulation, but we're not going to go through the tribulation that John speaks of in Revelation uh, chapter 6 through 19. A couple of the verses for a year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says that God delivers us from the wrath that is coming. Delivers us is the rapture. In other words, Christ is going to come back. He's going to take us home to be with him before God unleashes his wrath on planet earth that we see portrayed in Revelation 6 through 19. Now, why is that true? Well, here's why. Because Jesus Christ took all of God's anger and wrath on himself for you and me. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has already expiated all of his anger and wrath on Jesus. So the wrath that he's going to bring during the tribulation is not for you. It's for those who have not believed. And so he delivers us from the wrath to come in 1 Thess 1.10. Later on in that same book in 1 Thess 5.9, it says that we are not destined for wrath, but rather for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the context of both those passages is the day of the Lord or the judgment time of God. And so instead of going through judgment, we're going to be delivered from judgment just like Noah was before the flood came, right? God delivered him out of that judgment just like Lot was before God came and rained down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. God took Lot out of the picture, right? Guess what? He's going to do the same for you and me. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, God promises us that he is going to deliver us from the hour of testing. He says that it's about to come upon the whole world. And that's talking about the rest of Revelation. So all throughout Revelation, the many, many more evidences of, of the rapture that both Kenny will talk about, and you can read about in my book, Wake the Bride. But the bottom line is, is that God has made promises to us, promises that he will keep because why? He's a promise-keeping God. He is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. So you do not have to fear Antichrist. You don't have to fear judgment and the judgments of Revelation. But we need to know about them because God wants us to be able to prepare the world and to help others come to know Christ. So those are some of the, th the objections that people give to the rapture. It's not in the Bible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, how about a recent doctrine? It goes all the way back to the New Testament. And then finally, is it an escape clause? Well, yeah, it is, but escape from God's judgment not just from trouble. I hope that gives you some hope and some confidence as you face the days ahead. Kenny, back to you. Thanks, Jeff. By the way, I'm really looking forward to the session that Jeff and I will be doing live with you and uh, be looking for more information on that because maybe you have additional questions you want to ask. We would love to answer those if we can. So be looking on our weekly e-news that we send out. If you're not receiving that, please just let us know. You can go to thebridge.me and you can let us know that you would like our weekly newsletter. We would love to keep you plugged in with what's happening around here. I want to go close with a last verse and then a few points. The Apostle Paul also told us about the rapture again 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me explain some things from this passage. Here's what it says. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Exactly what he said to the Corinthian believers. But here's what he says, with a loud shout. He adds this part that I said I would, I would explain. Loud shout and trumpet. Why a loud shout? A loud shout in Scripture represented victory. Victory over death, over hell, over, over the grave. Victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. That's something to shout about. And so Paul is saying in that moment there would be a loud shout for what Jesus has done for those who he loves and those who he rescued. And it says it, it's going to be coming with a trumpet. Why a trumpet? In Scripture, a trumpet was blown to represent royalty was on the move. It's like Aslan. Aslan's on the move. One of my favorite shows. Side note. But the trumpet is blown to say royalty is off his throne and royalty is coming to get his own. And Paul goes on and here's what he says. After that, we who are still alive, and that what he said, some will not experience death. And our left will be caught up. That's the word rapture. Rapturo. Rapture. Wrapped up together with them in the clouds, watch, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Who's going to be where? Is he coming to be here forever? Or are we going there to be with him forever? We're going to be with him forever. Where? On here on earth? No, no, no. In the air. Why? Because we are caught up. This is what rapture means. He goes on and he says this in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture brings comfort. The rapture brings peace, joy in the midst of what we're going through right now. Jesus says there's a day coming and it's coming soon. Labor pains and something beautiful is about to happen for those who know me. Now, let, let me stop real fast. There, there are sometimes a confusion between the second coming of Jesus and so when does this happen? Well, ladies and gentlemen, kids of all ages, you are in luck because I am about to draw for you. I would like to draw a timeline. And we will start it here at the A&E channel. Adam and Eve from the beginning of time and we will pick it up. We will just fast forward here to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We know that here is his first coming, a life of 33 years. When is his second coming? When is the rapture? When does all this take place? If we find ourselves here 2,000 years after the cross, at any moment, by the way, the rapture could happen. Um, Nothing else needs to happen on the prophecy clock. Um, Israel started it all when they became a nation in 1948. Anything can happen from now on at any time. We are good to go whenever God wants us to go. So let's just pretend that the rapture happens immediately. We are then where scripture says, in heaven with him. And here is 
what scripture says is the marriage feast. That is a table with chairs, by the way. This is the party. This is the bride and the groom, Jesus, having the marriage supper together. And it will be absolutely incredible in that moment. What happens on earth? Literally, all hell breaks loose. This, I believe, is the reason America is never mentioned in the end times. We are completely decimated because of the leaders, because of the number of individuals, because of the believers who are gone. And you might, you might ask, oh, is, does that begin the tribulation? No, scripture is very, very clear. The tribulation begins when the peace treaty is signed between the Antichrist, the one world leader, and Israel. Keep in mind, over the centuries, leaders, presidents have all tried to sign a peace treaty between the Arabs and the Israelis. And it's never happened. It never will happen until the Antichrist signs the deal. How long does the peace treaty last? The Bible says it lasts for seven years. But what's interesting is it's divided. The first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. Scripture says it is so evil. There's so much death and destruction that God has to cut it short. It's something we've never experienced before. It will make the coronavirus look like a walk in the park compared to what will take place. This is what we will discuss next week. Don't miss it. At the end of the tribulation is the second coming of Christ. This is what we will talk about in two weeks. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss any part of this series. We talk about next week, the Antichrist. We talk about the tribulation. We talk about what will happen, what will not happen. But there is a difference between Christ's first coming, which is in the books. There are three times more prophecies about his second coming. That we will all see together. Now, why talk about the rapture? Why is it important? Why should we discuss it? Well, I think there are several reasons. I wrote down a few reasons for us to wrap up with together, if you don't mind. I think the first reason of why we need to talk about the rapture and why there is a rapture is Jesus keeps his promises. Can I get an amen or just some praise hands? Jesus keeps his promises. If he said he's coming to get us, he's coming to get us because he is either a liar or he's Lord. There's no in between. And here's what he promised in John chapter 14 to his disciples who were wondering about the end times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I will come back and, interesting, take you, not be with you. I'm taking you. I'm receiving you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, where is Jesus? He's in heaven. Where are we? On earth. What's he going to do? Pull us from earth to heaven, the rapture. Second coming is him coming to earth 
from heaven. That's not what he said. He said, we are leaving earth, going to where he is, heaven. And I'm just telling you, the apostle Paul was actually one who was raptured in scripture. There have been six raptures in scripture. This one being seven means perfection. The apostle Paul was able to take a tour of heaven guided by Jesus himself. The apostle Paul knew more than one language like me. He knew a few. And when he came back to talk about it, he actually said, I can find no words to describe what I have seen. I cannot write down on paper what I have heard. He said, I promise you, your mind, if you just think about heaven, push your mind, your creative abilities, as far as they will go, of what you think heaven will be like, you haven't even gotten there yet. It's beyond what you could ever imagine. And Jesus says, I'm coming and I'm taking you to be with me in my home one day. Why talk about the rapture? We are his ambassadors. Think about it. Whenever we as the United States declare war on a nation, what's the first thing we do? We pull out our own. We take our ambassadors and bring them home before we declare war and war begins. Well, here's what scripture says about believers. We are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, this is not our home. We are temporary residents on this planet. Our home is in heaven. So before the tribulation happens, Jesus pulls out his ambassadors, his own, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf because as ambassadors, we have a job. We have a message. What is our message? Be reconciled to God. The job is not complete. We have a mission. But before the tribulation, he pulls out his own. Now, Revelation, also known as the freaky book, really unveils what will happen in the end times. It's fascinating. The word church is mentioned 17 times. We are his church. We're the bride. We're the church. 17 times. That's a big 17. Can you just look at everyone and just say, that's a big 17. That's a big 17. Why am I emphasizing that? Because the tribulation is laid out in Revelation from chapter 6 through 18. All seven years of the tribulation. What will happen? How bad will it be? All seven years. Wait. How many times is the church mentioned in Revelation? 17. In Revelation 6 through 18 during the tribulation, the word church is never mentioned. Not once. Why? Because we're not here. We're gone. Why? We are his ambassadors and we are his bride. Another reason of why we should talk about the rapture. The restrainer must leave. Now, this is an interesting passage, and I want you to hang with me for just a moment because Scripture talks about that when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He's our guide, our comforter, our teacher. He's our reminder of truth. Scripture says this about the restrainer must leave. Here, here's what Paul says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, so he's writing to believers. For those who follow Jesus, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. 
Do not let your mind be quickly shaken or be troubled. Again, he knows how trouble troubles us, but there's comfort with him. And here's what he says. You know what is holding him, the Antichrist, context. You know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. Talk more about that next week, but here's what I want us to get from right now. For the secret power of lawlessness, which is already at work. I talked about that at the very top of the message. Telling you these are the end days. But the one who now hold it back will continue to hold him back until he is taken out of the world. Who is the restrainer against the Antichrist? God. The Holy Spirit. It's not like this battle between, I don't know, is like the Holy Spirit just as powerful as the Antichrist? No, 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 there's no comparison. And he is the one restraining, holding back the Antichrist from coming onto the stage to be known as the Antichrist. How will the Holy Spirit leave? Only if we go. Because scripture says he resides in us. And when we are gone, then the Antichrist can make himself known to be who he really is. Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, the, the last reason of why we should talk about the rapture, why believe in the rapture, because we're not looking for the Antichrist. <laughs> we're looking to Jesus. That reason alone is enough for us to Sleep well at night. If you know him, we don't look for the Antichrist. Yes, we study the signs. Yes, we talk about it. As Jesus said, we should know what's happening. But our mind, our focus, and our eyes are on our hero, Jesus. And there is a day soon we will see him. We will see him face to face. We will see our loved ones. Scripture says we will know and be known. And it will be a party that we all are longing to be a part of. My question for you is this. Are you rapture ready? Is everything okay between you and God? Is there anything that I've said today that unsettles you? That you don't know if it were to happen right now, would you go or would you stay? Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus and allowed him to take residence in your heart that you turn over the keys of your life to him? He becomes your boss, your CEO, the Lord of your life and the hero of your story. He so longs to be your hero, not just in that day when he calls his own home, but today with what you're going through in life. If you have never given your life to, to Jesus, if you are unsettled, if you're troubled by what we've talked about today, he wants to look at you and say, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in me. I want to give you the opportunity to join 10 others who last Sunday gave their life to Christ for the very first time. Today is your day. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? And if that's you, just say to him, Jesus, I need you. I need a hero. 
And I believe you are the hero. And the best way I know how, I turn over my life to you. I trust you with my future. I surrender my present. And I ask forgiveness for my past. I believe that you died for every one of my sins. And I believe you came back to life to give me life. So the best way I know how, I say yes to you today. Thank you for making me your son, your daughter. Thank you for making me your bride. That I am one with you from now to forever. Thank you for changing me from the inside out. Thank you for rescuing me from me. I confess with my mouth, you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you died, came back to life, and I will see you again. In your name I pray, amen.